Hey everybody, welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. For those who don't know me, I am a lifelong political nerd with a background in international relations and security policy, with experience working in the US domestic political space, and a number of years spent living in various countries besides my own. That all being the case, therefore, I feel like I am relatively well positioned to uh, both shed light for folks in my home country on some events of note happening outside the United States and to interpret uh, for my friends living in other parts of the world just exactly what the hell is going on in my own country. So, in the last episode, I had planned to discuss the way women's rights have suffered around the world broadly in 2022. Uh, it turns out that I had uh, too much material to work with and had enough to say about just the end of nationally protected abortion rights in the United States that it made sense to split this lamentation of the state of women's rights this year into at least two parts. Uh, that being the case, uh, if you haven't heard the first part of this episode, stop right here, go back and listen to episode 26, and then come back. <laughs> I'll wait. So, welcome back. Now that you've all gone and listened to that other episode and are totally up to speed... I am, in fact, going to pick up where I left off in American politics. Don't worry, I promise I will get to other parts of the world in this episode. But just to round off the American side of things where we left it in the last one, though. So as a result of the decision by the Supreme Court to end nationally protected rights for women to not have to carry a pregnancy to term uh, if they don't want to, has caused faith in the high court in the United States to plummet. And for good reason. As I state, almost every episode of this podcast that ever touches on American politics, at this point, the Supreme Court in the United States is an unelected legislative body in black dresses dominated by a supermajority of right-wing Christian theocrats appointed by presidents who haven't actually won the vote of the majority of Americans and is currently setting about repealing the 20th century. Now, as people's opinion of the court shoots through the floor... A number of Republican candidates have realized what I was getting at in my analysis of the politics of this in that last episode. Basically, that the delicate, I don't know, the delicate balance of being able to throw red meat to anti-abortion crazies without losing the sane voters because Roe versus Wade uh, was the law of the land is no longer in place. This balance is broken. Voters who do think that women should have the right to make decisions about their own bodies and don't think that the, sh that the state uh, should be forcing them to carry pregnancies to term, which polls show is a pretty substantial majority, suddenly those people care a whole lot more about Republican candidates' positions on abortion rights now that they're playing with live ammo. This is why you see a whole bunch of Republican candidates backing away from previous hardline positions on abortion and, like, scrubbing their websites and suddenly being all interested in women's rights or whatever. That being said, <laughs> make no mistake, uh, some Republicans suddenly playing lip service to freedom and women's rights, uh, the modern Republican Party will come for your abortion rights, even if you live in a blue state where those rights are still protected. Senator Lindsey Graham from South Carolina kind of hopefully gave this game away a couple weeks back by introducing a bill to nationally ban abortion after 15 weeks. But beyond Graham's bill, and to broaden, uh, to include more than just the limited issue of 
abortion in America. There are this year some truly creepy Republican candidates uh, when it comes to women's rights. Herschel Walker, for example, is a former football player and the single stupidest, most ill-informed person ever to run for the Senate in the modern era, since Trump himself never decided to run for the Senate. No, you know what, I take that back. Herschel Walker might be even more stupid, ill-informed, mendacious, and just generally bonkers and unqualified even than Donald Trump, which is saying rather a lot. Also, the fact that Walker... Well, the fact that Herschel Walker is so clearly being used by Trump and the Republican Party because he's black... Well, is an insult to the intelligence of black voters. And this, among a number of other complicating factors that make him one of the most problematic Senate candidates, like, ever... Uh, or for another episode. Uh, for today, what's relevant is Herschel Walker's truly horrifying record on women's rights to go along with his almost comical hypocrisy on abortion rights specifically. So to start with the second issue first, just in the last couple of weeks, it's come out that Herschel Walker, who of course, as a Republican in this day and age, is running for the Senate as a, you know, faith, family, blah, 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 conservative, uh, it turns out about a decade ago, he pushed a girlfriend to have an abortion and then paid for it. Now, perhaps the only thing that Herschel Walker is more known for on the campaign trail than saying things that are just unintelligible, really like to the point where you could reasonably think that he was like speaking in a secret code or something. The only thing Walker's more known for than that is just lying about everything all the time, everywhere, just like making things up. Like he's claimed to have been, I don't know, I think he's claimed to have been like an FBI agent. He wasn't. Graduated at the top of his class in college. Never graduated. Um, what else? He claimed to have like run a bunch of hospitals. Nope. So, of course, as has become basically Walker's trademark, he has tried to, you know, go ahead and lie his way out of this one, too, with some, I've never seen that woman before in my life style, you know, evasion, classy. But we've got the receipts, literally. I mean, the, the woman showed the press... The check he sent her to cover the cost of the abortion, and my personal favorite, a get well card that he sent afterward. The latest tidbit in the story of this particular woman is that two years later, uh, after the first abortion, she apparently got pregnant again as a result of their relationship, and he again uh, encouraged her to have an abortion, which she didn't, at which point he then dumped her. Apparently, he has no real connection with her or with the kid at this point, other than sending the occasional present. And this is actually, okay, I said the, the get well card thing was my favorite. This is my favorite. Uh, according to Morning Joe, the person who is actually like sending the presents and stuff to the kid is Walker's current wife, not him himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Republican Party family values in the year 2022. Now look, I mean, the whole topic of unwanted pregnancies and parents' responsibility when it comes to offspring that they didn't choose to have, well, it's a legitimately complicated subject. But it ought to be a hell of a lot less complicated for somebody who's running for high office with a party that likes to think of itself as the party of personal responsibility. Although I think that's totally untrue, certainly at this point. But, you know, the Republican Party does basically fetishize the idea of family, family values, children in traditional families, and, you know, routinely blames absentee fathers and single mothers for America's supposed moral decline over the past half century. Also, unfortunately, 
get well cards post-abortion would seem to be just about the only time that Herschel Walker wishes women well. Because during the course of his life, he's had children with and then directly abandoned four different women that we know of. And on a darker note than his comical hypocrisy around abortion rights, after this story broke, Walker's son, who, you know, is himself like a a social media, like a conservative social media activist, but has been largely silent on his dad up until now, absolutely unloaded on Herschel Walker uh, in a video on Twitter for basically being a monster up to and including the fact that the son and the mother had to move six times in the space of six months at one point point to get away from Herschel Walker because they feared for their lives. Now, I don't know if this one instance uh, with Herschel Walker's son Christian and Christian's mother is the situation in which Herschel Walker is alleged to have pointed a handgun at the head of a woman he was with and threatened to blow her brains out. Whether that was this poor woman or another one, well, call me old-fashioned, I don't actually think we should have senators who have credibly threatened to murder one spouse, let alone more than one. Speaking of the topic of domestic violence, there's J.D. Vance, who's running for Senate in Ohio. Now, besides also being a world-class hypocrite, although for different reasons than Walker, Just by way of backstory, J.D. Vance spent years and years as a national media personality, including a lot of airtime criticizing Donald Trump. But then he decided that he didn't mean that at all because he really wanted to be in the Senate. And as Trump himself put it, uh, started kissing Donald Trump's ass. Vance has made some truly creepy comments about domestic abuse on the campaign trail in Ohio this year. I should note that I don't know of any accusations against Vance himself, but like, you know, going on the air in 2022 to criticize the sexual revolution because people feeling like they can have sex with more than one person has resulted in... You know what? I'm just going to read the quote. Quote, This is one of the great tricks uh, that I think the sexual revolution pulled on the American populace, which is the idea that, like, well, okay, these marriages were fundamentally, you know, they were maybe even violent but certainly they were unhappy, and so getting rid of them and making it easier for people to shift spouses like they change their underwear, that's going to make people happier in the long term. Unquote. Translation, women should stay in abusive marriages because I, child psychology expert J.D. Vance, believe that that would be better for the hypothetical kids than getting the hell out of there. Maybe he has some advice for Herschel Walker's wife with the gun to her head. Now, unfortunately, there are plenty more examples of almost comical levels of disregard for Amer- for women in American politics this year, but I've been on the America beat for a while now in this episode and the previous one, so I'm going to move on to the rest of the world. I'm hoping before too long to have a guest on the show who could shed more light on the situation in Iran than I can. Uh, it's a matter of, for now, trying to figure out how I can uh, have them as a guest on this podcast while also protecting uh, their identity. But even in advance of that possible episode, I'm going to mention this right now because it fits the broader point that I'm making about what a, yeah, rather stark year 2022 has been in terms of the way women are treated around the world. So in Iran, forcing women to wear a hijab in public has been perhaps the most powerful symbol of the brutal Shia theocracy that has ruled that country since the revolution in 1979. Because, you know, who knows what terrifying sacrilege could occur if the wind were allowed to blow through human hair attached to the head of somebody without a Y chromosome. 
A couple weeks ago, the morality police, yes, unfortunately in Iran, that is a real thing, not just a tongue-in-cheek way to refer to people on Twitter with a stick up their ass, arrested a 22-year-old woman named Mahsa Amini for not wearing her hijab correctly and beat her to death in the back of a police van. Mahsa Amini is just one of innumerable women who has suffered an unspeakable fate for the crime of being born female in an Islamic theocracy. But women and decent men in Iran have risen up in protest to the gender apartheid in that country, resulting naturally in a brutal crackdown from the vicious priesthood that is Iran's government. The situation is ongoing, and again, stay tuned, I'm hoping to do an episode about this. And in the meantime, I really encourage you all to check out what's being said on this by Mahsi Alinejad, a truly heroic journalist and women's rights activist from Iran who's been active in this movement for a long time. She was on uh, Bill Maher's show a couple weeks ago and more recently gave a truly rousing speech on the importance of global liberals and democracies standing together to protect freedom, democracy, and women's rights from encroaching authoritarianism and theocracy. I will link to that speech in the description of this podcast and encourage everybody to go listen to it. It's not uh, especially long. Uh, in addition to the protests in Iran itself, a lot of major cities around the world have started seeing protests in support of women living under Iran's Islamic theocracy. I will readily admit to having gone to one here in Barcelona and encourage all of you to do so as well wherever you live. And awkward reality, let's say, for those of us who are politically left of center, is that among secular liberals there has, at times, I would argue, been a tension between our feminism and a desire to avoid appearing to be intolerant of other cultures, particularly when it comes to Islam. Now, I'm not going to go too far down that rabbit hole here, but suffice to say, I'm one of the people who's believed for quite a while that a lot of us have been far too willing at times to, to overlook gross atrocities in the name of cultural tolerance. And we should care more about standing up for oppressed individual people everywhere in the world than we do about making sure that we're always super deferential to culture, even at the expense of our liberal values, like equality, freedom, standing up for vulnerable minorities, etc. Speaking of the horrific oppression of women under Islamist regimes, it was technically last year that the Taliban took over Afghanistan in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal, but the consequences of that being so dire and tragic and ongoing, uh, it would be malpractice not to mention it here, given what we're talking about in this episode. Also, just as a side note for those who aren't familiar with this term, Islamism, sometimes called political Islam, uh, is the idea that People should be governed according to Islamic law. Basically, the notion that states themselves should be built around fundamentalist Islam, uh, wherein the religion governs basically everything. There have actually been the occasional small protest of women in Afghanistan since the Taliban took over last year, including a few weeks ago. Uh, but under the Taliban, for the most part, women have effectively been disappeared from society in that country, where for the last 20 years although nobody would have called Afghanistan a feminist panacea, women were at least able to live, you know, as relatively equal members of society, receive a normal education, etc. But now, 
women in Afghanistan, if they so much as venture out in public, can only do so if they are covered head to foot in a stifling, impenetrable burqa, which has the effect of completely dehumanizing the person inside of it. Literally. Not even an eye hole. I think the fact that I have to use the word eye hole in the context of what we're talking about says rather a lot on its own. But, you know, for the record, the burqas covering all the women in Afghanistan now generally don't even have one of those. Oh, and just to preempt some of the how dare yous that may result from being critical of the burqa, no, I'm not saying women should be prevented from wearing that if they actually want to, although I do think there are some legitimate security concerns about the full face and eye covering. But, I'm sorry, I just, call me close-minded, I can't imagine that many people would actually want to walk around the way that the women of Afghanistan are now forced to, and if you believe otherwise, I invite you to try. At the very least, Afghan women pretty clearly don't want to. Otherwise, they would have been doing it over the past 20 years before the Taliban came in and forced them to. And for the most part, well, you know, they didn't. The complete gender apartheid in Afghanistan under its new Islamist regime goes far beyond just the burqa, unfortunately, but even scratching the surface of how badly women are being treated now in Afghanistan, which puts even most other hardcore Islamic theocracies to shame would take many, many additional and, well, aggressively depressing episodes, so I'll leave it there for now. Finally, it wouldn't be an episode of OK Talks in the year 2022 if I didn't at least mention how this discussion of it being a truly awful year for women's rights also relates to the situation in Ukraine. Obviously, the war there raises a whole host of other issues going well beyond just what I'm talking about in this episode, but as it's the Russian military fighting this war, unfortunately, one of the issues that just can't be avoided in discussing the war is the way in which women are being treated as part of the conflict. Now, some might object to the way I characterize the Russians in that last sentence, but unfortunately, there is kind of a history here. Most prominently during the Second World War, historians believe the Russians raped literally millions of women in the territories that they took, now, that's not to say that they weren't on the right side of the war, of course, they were, at least after the Nazis broke the deal the Russians had made with them. But the Americans, the Brits, others in the Allied coalition were also able to defeat the Germans and the Japanese and the Italians without engaging in mass rape. And in this Russian invasion of Ukraine, there have been endless, endless cases of Russian soldiers raping Ukrainian civilians from senior citizens to, well, there's no non-awful way to put it, to very, very young children. I'll spare you the gory details of these events, but they're readily available. This isn't just me repeating a rumor I read on a Twitter feed with 27 followers. Everything from news stories detailing the events and subsequent quests for justice by survivors to, well, publicly released intercepts of phone calls between Russian soldiers and their wives back home, wherein the wife says she's cool with it as long as he uses protection. Actually, over the weekend, the Washington Post put out a gut-wrenching story of yet another Ukrainian woman, one of way too many stories like this, a woman in her late middle age and her husband who were held captive in one of the territories that the Russians occupied at the time. The woman was raped repeatedly in a way that when described, it sounded like, it sounded almost institutionalized, like bureaucratic even, clearly with the permission and probably encouragement of superior officers. I will link to that story along with the Masih Alinejad speech in the description of this episode. It's distasteful 
not to mention heartbreaking to have to talk about this. But I just don't think it's possible to discuss the fairly abysmal state of women's rights in the world in the year 2022 without mentioning the fact that a country that likes to think of itself as some sort of great civilization is pretty openly using mass rape as just another tool of war as part of their illegal, not to mention completely immoral, attack on their free democratic neighbor. To conclude, I think history will look back on this year, 2022, as a notable one in the history of how women are treated. Lord knows the last one was terrible too in the context of Afghanistan, but it's it's bad. It's just so bad. <laughs> I just hope it won't be so easy to make an episode like this about 2023. In the meantime, we have to support women in all the places I've talked about and everywhere else in the world where women continue to fight just to receive the same basic respect, autonomy, and status in society as their male counterparts. Well, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show as it's coming back, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, etc. And most of all, please, please share it with anyone you think might like it. Not hate it. Tolerate it. Yeah. You can find me arguing with people on Twitter at O-W-S Kendall. That's O-W-S-K-E-N-D-A-L-L. Feel free to reach out to me there if you have any thoughts on the show. As always, I'd like to thank my friend Knight Wright for designing the podcast artwork and you for listening. Mm-hmm.